Okay, we're on Peyam and Beis, and we're about eight lines up from the bottom. Rabbi de Reb Yossi, Adar Reb Yossi. Reb Yossi said that if the woman makes a vow that uh, she will not bathe, or not a formal bathing anyway, mm-hmm. uh, then that is not considered an affliction. Uh, Again, it might mean full bathing, whatever uh, whatever it is. Rebiosi's opinion sounded like the husband can't nullify it because it's not a full affliction. So Mar has a question. Is that consistent with the opinion of Rebiosi in the following case? What happens when you have a spring that comes out of a city, and if one city gets their water from there, there won't be enough left for the other? So the rule is, if they need it for living, and the other city needs it for living, they're allowed to take it, even though there won't be enough for the other city. Their life comes first. Now, what happens if there's enough for their animals, but not enough for their, the, the city down the stream, their animals? Animals need to drink, to be watered. So their animals come first. It, what happens if they need water to wash their clothes? The Kvisasacherim and the, the uh, people, the, the little village down the road also needs water for their clothes. Kvisasan Kodemus Kvisasacherim, four lines from the bottom. Their washing comes before the washing of the clothes down the city. Now, so far, so good. If it's between you and them, you're allowed to take care of yourself. But what about Chayacherim Vikvisasan? What about? If you use water for washing, they won't have water for living. So the rule is, the first opinion says, They're having water to live. Their right to the water for basic life comes before your right to the water for your washing. Rabbi Yossi argues, he says, no. The water to wash your clothing comes before their life. It doesn't mean they're going to die. It means they'll have to uh, have some other solution for their village. But um, your uh, washing is intrinsic to your livelihood, and you need it e- even more so, even though they won't have immediately enough for the people themselves. So, hashta now, kvisa om Rav Yossi yesh says that if you don't wash your clothing, you can't live there. There'll be a big pain because it'll, the clothes will get dirty, and that'll be a big problem. Certainly, if you don't wash your body, you're going to be in big trouble if Rav Yossi's Mr. Clean. And he says it's impossible to live without washing your clothes. That's your life. So then how is it possible to live without washing your body? So that sounds like a contradiction. The Gemara says, no, Amri in Kvisa Alima. It's possible that having dirty clothing is more likely to cause disease and be difficult to live with than not full bathing. Uh, Shmuel, who was a doctor, said the following, If a person doesn't either like to run, wash their head, or comb their head, it can cause them eyesight problems. If they have dirty clothing, you can get all kinds of sicknesses. Uh, it seems to imply you go mashuga if you don't wash your clothes. What happens if you don't wash your body? You could get all kinds of boils and stuff on your skin. So the Ran says the boils can be cured, but the sickness that you get from dirty clothing can be fatal. You won't be able to get rid of it. 
So you see from here that there it's possible to hold that it's more uh, important or essential to be able to clean your clothes, uh, but not necessarily to bathe or full bathing. Okay, moving on. This subject of the importance of cleanliness. They sent from Eretz Yisrael to the cities the important rules. You know, Europe, uh, in the Middle Ages, people were very filthy. And they saw, no, they didn't know about cleanliness. That's a modern thing. But the Jews all knew this Gemara, that you have to be clean. And we didn't catch the Black Plague, didn't spread amongst us like it did them. They thought we poisoned the wells. They didn't know that, because I'll teach us that you have to be clean. So they sent a message from Eretz Yisrael. They sent, You should be careful uh, to stay away from being unclean. Uh, that's a Torah requirement. You have to launder clothing, and you have to bathe. You have to be a clean person. Next, they also said, You should make sure to learn in groups. And they bring down that when you learn in groups, so the interaction with others, uh, it makes you sharp. And I don't know whether the internet counts for that or not, but uh, actually we're to be a group as well. But it's uh, good to be learning with others. And then finally, it says, be careful with the children of the poor. Meaning, sometimes they don't pay so much, but uh, Torah is going to come from the children of the poor. How do we know? It says the water will come from the lower part. The water is Torah wisdom. The Ron explains two things. He says, since they're poor, they don't have distractions, and so they'll learn Torah. It's well known if students have lots of other stuff to do, they don't learn as much. The poor people, they don't have anything else. So actually, because they don't have as many distractions, they end up be becoming much greater than wealthy kids that have stuff to get them in trouble. And then number two, Rashi Ron says, he says they're more humble. Uh, and since they're more humble, Torah goes with those that are humble. Uh, another thing, uh, why is it that if somebody's raised by a scholar, so the parents definitely do their best to teach them, why don't they all, why is it that you sometimes find that the kids of scholars are not scholars? So, um, Rev Yosef, the reason is, that Hashem doesn't want people to think that you can inherit Torah, that you can be born in the family and it comes automatically. So it doesn't come automatically. It's only people, Torah, ha people have to earn it. Even the poor people who didn't, you know, come with very little, Torah belongs to everybody. For Sheshish, Breda, a different reason. That the uh, leaders not be arrogant. They think they're better. They, you can think that you're better than everybody because you have Torah wisdom. You have to realize that not it's not necessarily everybody's fault. Even their own kids might not get it. He said that's actually a punishment, uh, that they were, uh, they, they, whenever you have power, sometimes it could be abused. Rabashi says, It's because they call people donkeys. Uh, they, when people are very bright, they have less patience for those that are not bright, and they think that they're different. Uh, that other people are like donkeys and they they don't understand things and they're bright, then Hashem uh, teaches them a lesson when they get kids that are not so bright. Uh, Ravina Omar, he says a different reason. Even though people learn, we're going to learn it's very important to see Torah as the words of Hashem. Where the kids of, of Tamil Chachamim they, uh, they're not Bali Chuva. They come to learning, they've been born with it, and so they don't appreciate it. 
but people that are new to it, they know it's the word of Hashem, it's going to stick with them. But if people learning, because it's just, that's all they know, and they don't bless the Torah first, they don't realize its uniqueness, it's just what they grew up with, that's why they don't become great in it. If you, uh, you have to realize Torah is Torah. And how do you know it's so important to recognize Torah? Torah is very powerful, but in order to activate it, you have to be aware of what it is. You have to learn it because it is Torah. And he brings a famous quote, it says, by destruction of the second base of Migdush, the people themselves were pious. First base of Migdush, the people had worshipped idols. And so the first base of Migdush was destroyed because they weren't keeping the rules. They, you know, idol worship is one of the basic things. Whereas the second base of Migdush, there was an idol worship. Why was the, uh, the Eretz Yisrael destroyed? It says like this, Who could figure this out? They asked the sages, what's going on? And the sages didn't know. Why were they being punished? They asked the Nevi'im, the prophets, Lo Pirshu. Hashem himself sent them the message. Uh, it says that they abandoned my Torah. Now, that's the same as not listening. What does it mean they abandoned? They learned Torah, but they didn't learn it as a unique wisdom of Hashem. They just learned it as they learned other things. If you don't learn Torah because you realize it's the knowledge of Hashem, then you don't get the advantage of it. And that's why the, the, the Horbin was brought. They, then they wouldn't have come to hatred of people. The Torah, if you learn Torah because it's, uh, it's Hashem's, uh, the blueprint of, of creation, it's Hashem's Torah, that protects you from all kinds of things. If you learn it just like other stuff, then you don't get the, uh, the, the value in your Torah. Uh, the great Isi Bar Yehuda didn't come to the, to the base Medrash of Rabbi Yossi. Three days, Ashka the Redimus, the Redimus, the son of Rabbi Yossi, found him. Omerle, my time of Loasi Marla Bay Midrasha, where have you been? Where, how come you didn't come to the base medish of my father these last three days? Omerle, ki time of Yadana Hekaasi. Because I didn't understand the class. He was talking about a subject, and I didn't know the source of it, so I figured, why should I come? I'm not getting it all. Tell me what he was saying. Maybe maybe I know the reason. I didn't know what the source of He said a concept that washing your clothes comes before other people's life because cleanliness is part of your living. Where did he get that from? You, you can't just say something because you think so or you like that idea. There has to be a source in the Torah. So what was Reb Yossi's source? That's why I didn't come to, to the base Medrash. This is the source. When it talks about the Jewish people coming into Eretz Israel, it talks about there, there being a place of land called the Migrish for their animals and for the Chayosam. What exactly is the word Chayosam? Sometimes the word Chay means live animals, the animals that are uh, wild. So, but that's Halo Chaya That's included in animals. So, Ela Mai Chayosam Chayosam Mamish. Uh, maybe what it means is their life, so pshita, that you have to have enough land to live off. The only thing we could think of, it must be enough land that you have space to clean your clothes. Because otherwise you'll get the sicknesses and disease that comes with filth. Okay, so Om Rav Yossi, Ein Elu Nidre Inei Nefesh. So Rav Yossi said that uh, bathing is not, again, we just pointed out that cleaning clothes may not be a luxury, and that is affliction. But uh, full bathing, Rabbi Yossi held, was not necessarily affliction.
So the question is, even though it's not affliction, can the, is the husband, the husband's allowed to nullify two kinds of vows, those things that are affliction and those things that affect his intimate relations with his wife. So the question is, granted, Riviosi doesn't say that full bathing affects the relationship, uh, the, the affliction, uh, but is that, does that affect their relationship? So Om Riviosi Ene, he says that not bathing is not a vow that's ino nefesh affliction. Does that imply, but it would be something that would affect their relationship? You can't uh, have a relationship with somebody that's filthy. So the Gemara said, it's not a proof. In that particular word, maybe he was just presenting his argument. According to me, I feel the According to Reb Yossi, maybe it doesn't affect their relationship. But according to you, that says that it's affliction, but you should admit, um, according to you, who says that it, uh, you should admit that it's not considered. Basically, he would say that uh, not only is it not. Um, uh, he, he would say that um, that it not only does it uh, does these kinds of nadorim are they not affliction, but they don't even affect their personal relationship. So it's not clear from those words what he would hold. So my the Gemara's question now, two lines from the bottom. Let's look at Rashi Klomar Kati Miboyle. So we didn't answer this question. Is this uh, is this personal enough that a husband can say I can't have a wife that doesn't bathe? They're full bathing. So Ravuna says, now, you can, they can go to Beisden and be shoyal on the netter, but the question is, can he revoke it because it directly affects his rights? So Ravuna says, I'm sorry, Rav Ada Barava says, yes, he could revoke it. Ravuna says he can't revoke it. Why? Shalom The question is, can he have regular relations with the wife? Uh, and he brings a mushal that the fox doesn't die from the foxhole meaning that uh, people could get used to the smells of the house or the uncleanliness, and that it's not necessarily uh, inhibit them from their relationship. Uh, even though it's, to outsiders it could be awkward, if it's yours, you could get used to it. So it's not necessarily so. They had other means, by the way. They didn't bathe as much as we did. They had perfumes and oils and other things. And even though somebody who wasn't used to it might not like it, but it, there are people that it's like a person's own foxhole that it didn't necessarily get in their way. There's uh, some deeper meanings of this analogy, uh, but uh, we won't have time to go into them, and I don't fully understand them. There's an idea that uh, if when people don't bathe, their hair gets stuck together and it gets in the way, and uh, the fox... Uh, seems to know its way around the dirt, so to speak. That's that's the mushal. Uh, but we don't have a proof. Let's see if we can bring a proof. That the husband could nullify the vows of not bathing. Uh, if it's uh, an an affliction, then he can nullify it. And once it's nullified, it'll be nullified in this marriage. And even if they get divorced, it'll be nullified. If it's not ino nefesh, but something that just bothers him, so as long as they're married, it's nullified. If they ever get divorced, her words she'll have to keep. While they were married to him, he had the right of revocal for his marriage, but not after that. Let's say he said, she said, no more fruits, the fruits are forbidden to me. Husband can nullify that. What if she said, I'm not taking care of your father anymore. 
or Lafia bro, I'm tired of serving your brother, Lafia Vicha, my father, your father, Lapiachi, my brother, Shalitin Teva, I'm not going to feed your animals anymore. My Lifnei Bokrach, I'm not going to water them. So Ein He can't nullify that because that doesn't affect him. Uh, now we're speaking according to uh, that she has a maid who could do those things, or, or they could hire somebody to do them. On the other hand, if she says, I will not use eye makeup or face makeup, or no relations, that certainly affects him. He can nullify that affects their relationship. What if she says, I'm not making the bed anymore, and I'm not going to dilute your cup. Their wine was extra thick, and it always had to be diluted. And she says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to wash your face, your hands, or your feet. He doesn't need to nullify that. Uh, there are certain minimum responsibilities that a husband and a wife have to each other. Rabbi Leal says, he can nullify, uh, that even though it's not necessary to nullify them because she's obligated to do them, he should still nullify the vow. Because she's going to, even though she, her vow isn't binding, he, she's required to do that for him. But she's, in the end, going against her promise. She swore never again. So it has to be nullified. That's, what he, that's the word lo means that he shouldn't let that vow be binding. Another totally unrelated pshat in the Pasuk, A person shouldn't profane their own words. It means that you can't nullify your own words you got to go to someone else for that. In other words, even if you're a, a wise rabbi and you know that these kind of vows can be nullified, you should go to, you can't practice on yourself. You have to go to someone else. Now, we, we just quoted a long quote of teachings. And one of the things we said is that if she swears not to put on makeup, that's in between them. That affects their relationship. That's their biosit. Victani, and we learn to Mefer that he's allowed to nullify Mishim Dorm because those affect their relationship. And so, therefore, anything that would affect your relationship, you see, Rabbi Yossi says he could nullify. Omar Mart, Shalashamish and we said that if she says no relations, yea, for Mishum, because that affects their relationship. What's that case? We're, we're a little confused on the, the fact that we would even quote that she could say, no more, the bedroom's locked. If she said, you're not allowed to benefit from the pleasure of having relations with me, that that should be forbidden to you. She's required to, that's part of being married, is to be available for him and, and that he's allowed to have relations with his wife. She forbid it to herself. She's allowed to forbid it to herself. and But he can revoke it. If she forbids it to herself, so he can um, uh, he's, she's required to, uh, she can't, uh, she's required to have it, even though she said she didn't, as long, unless she wants a divorce. Tashmisa, a lie, if, if he said that it's forbidden to me, Yafra, that needs to be yellowified. You don't feed somebody something that's forbidden to him. And if she said that um, it's forbidden to me, I, you can't, even though she's required to have those relations, then she will, you have to take off the vow. Man Tana Hadatanya, Umar has a question, who's the one who learned the following? What if something is really not forbidden, but their minhag or their machmir to forbid it? So you shouldn't tell them that they don't need to do it. Why? 
k'day levatan for them to step doing it. Mishum shenemer lo yachad When you do something and you accept upon yourself to do something, so even though you didn't swear, but it's a thing that you do, it becomes like a vow, and you shouldn't tell them not to do it. Mishum shenemer lo yachad I use the fiddler on the roof analogy that um, uh, things that are, if you uh, if there are things that were done for many many years there the analogy was I think the the daughter there got married without a shotgun uh, and they ignored the tradition well if you ignore the tradition what happened the next daughter is going to marry a Naju. that's exactly what happened in other words you don't if there's something that's not an absolute requirement but it's something you've done you don't stop doing it. Uh, without uh, getting that, you should go, get nullification just like you would a regular vow. Because once you stop doing things that have been tradition or a commitment, uh, you're going to get in trouble. Uh, that's going to lead you to, uh, uh, to making your words profane. Be- even though it's, you didn't swear you would do it, it was just a tradition, once you break things, you should be used to the idea that when you break things that you've done many, many times, just like your word, you should seek the rabbi to get a nomen. Another thing, that was the thing we quoted before, that a scholar doesn't nullify their own vows. So who is that? Okay, we'll stop here two lines from the bottom.